Okay, we are here with a very, very special guest. He was the second overall pick in the 2010 MLB draft, and he is the current pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates. It is my pleasure to welcome Jameson Tyon to the Officially Unofficial Podcast. What is up, Jameson? Awesome intro. What's going on, dude? Thanks for having me. So I forgot to mention this actually in the intro because I, I just mi- minimize brain cells. You are actually a dual citizen, believe it or not. Is that true or false? It's very, very true. Yeah, both of my parents are Canadian. Um, my mom was born in Toronto. My dad was born in a really small town called St. Andrews. And I think it's like eastern Ontario near Cornwall. They met at the University of Toronto. And then they kind of have just moved around uh, America and Canada. So I've got one brother that was born in Canada and then, uh, the rest of us were born in the States, but we grew up visiting family all the time up in Canada. Toronto, my grandma lived right downtown in Toronto for 20 something years. So, um, definitely embrace both cultures and i got to play on team canada in the world baseball classics so that was pretty dope yeah i was just about to say thank you for your service for that um i just really appreciate <laughs> that so describe how cool that was honestly to just play for team canada because obvi- like team canada is not really known for baseball we have joey Votto, justin Morneau, those kind of guys but just playing for wearing canada across your chest means so much to us so what was that like for you being an american playing for a different country yeah, so in high school, I got to play on Team USA, 18 and under team, and then I got the opportunity to play for Canada, and I thought that was going to be really cool because, like, for me, maybe playing for Team USA was a little more personal for me, but then playing for Team Canada, I felt like it was a little more personal for my family. Um, like, I think my parents were extremely, extremely proud of me for doing that, and then, I mean, the majority of, like, my cousins and stuff live in Canada, so even if they don't know baseball all that well, like, they really got behind the fact that I had the maple leaf on, on my chest and they thought that was pretty cool. So it's not like I did it, you know, for myself per se, like I was a double A player. It was a cool opportunity to share the field with all those great players. But I think for me, it was, it was something I did really for my family um, just to show that we embrace both sides. Yeah. And the coolest, the coolest thing about that is that that team was actually kind of good. Um, you guys had Justin, yeah. Justin Morneau, obviously, and he's the Canadian songbird. He's the hero here. People bow down to him. There's probably stashes of him everywhere. What was that like playing with Justin Morneau? Uh, yeah, it was cool. I mean, like, I was a double-A player at that point, and I had never shared a locker room with, like, big leaguers, let alone, like, MVP candidate big leaguers. So, Votto and Morneau, for me, I was for sure a little bit starstruck. And then even playing with guys like Michael Saunders and Brett Laurie, like it, it was pretty cool for me to be around all of those guys. And then not to mention, they're really, really cool human beings. Justin Morneau hosted a party at his house in Arizona where like our group play was. Um, and a bunch of the guys were playing like street hockey and stuff, which was cool for me being obviously like a Southern born and raised American guy um, at heart like it was really cool for me to see how tight-knit they were um, and how they came together do you feel like that's something that you're gonna do in the future is always play for Team Canada Uh, yeah I mean well first off like Team USA is hard to play on (laughs) there's stats (laughs) all the time as far as pitching goes Um, but yeah I mean I felt like Team Canada took the chance on me being I think I was 20 at that point I might have been 21. Yeah, I think I was 21. But Team Canada took the chance on me when I was just a minor league guy. Um, so I feel like I kind of owe it to them for taking that leap of faith in me. So if I get to a point in my career where I'm healthy and uh, like it's something that 
makes sense for me, I would for sure play for Team Canada again. So there you heard. I mean, you heard it here first. ESPN, Jameson Tyon <laughs> will be playing if he gets the opportunity for Team Canada, the next World Baseball Classic. When it ha- when it happens, I want everyone to just quote me, quote the officially unofficial podcast. Let's get some numbers in this fucking podcast. But let's go back to yeah. high school. I wanted to talk about yep. something because in high school, you were what we call a high school hero. All right, you, you posted a, two, a tw- you were twenty two and six in your career, and you threw a no hitter your senior year. So this is like a two part question: How easy was baseball for you in high school? And was your senior year when you realized, like, damn, man, I might have to make this, like, a career of mine. I'm, I'm not going to be fucking slanging boxes <laughs> at Best Buy. Yeah. Yeah, so, I don't know, man. Like, I got to be honest. I probably should have been better in high school. Like, for Whoa. the stuff that I had, I still gave up some, like, home runs, and I gave up hits, and I had some losses, and I got hit around a few times, and... I mean, like, baseball in the Houston area is super competitive, so pretty much every team I played against, the other pitcher was going to be a Division One pitcher, and then the hitters were, you know, there were always a couple good guys in the middle of the lineup. So, I don't know. I felt like I honestly could have dominated a little more. Like, I mean, I was good, but so were a lot of kids in that area. I just had a lot of, like, potential and, and tools to dream on. But, um yeah, I mean, in high school, it was like a pretty crazy process. I went from just hoping to play college ball, get my school paid for, and then I committed to college, and I was like, well, maybe maybe I can try to get drafted. And then I started getting a lot of attention from agents and scouts, and I was like, well, maybe I, I don't want to just get drafted. Maybe I want to get drafted in the you know first couple of rounds, and then it all started becoming more real and real. Yeah, I, I, I always talked about that, too, when I was in high school. I said, I used to, like, like I told on earlier podcasts, like, I wanted to get drafted. I used to throw fucking pennies in a wishing well, wishing to get drafted, and I'm looking to sue all the owners of the wishing well for taking that dream away from me. I didn't get drafted, obviously. I was a JUCO bust. But just talking about getting drafted, I wanted to bring that up a little bit. Did you know you were going to go that high in the draft? Because, like I said earlier, second Ovi. That's not a big deal. It's unreal. (laughs) So how cool was that? Um, Yeah, I don't know. Like, I knew going into my senior year I was – pretty much if I stayed healthy I was gonna go in the first round at some point um but I didn't know how high it was gonna be and then my senior year like my stuff got a little bit better I started throwing a little bit harder my delivery like my mechanics got stronger and better I was starting to grow into my body and I felt like as the spring went along like I started catching more and more steam and then before the draft, like I, you know, you meet with a ton of scouts, like pretty much every team is represented. You meet with the scouts one-on-one or with your family. And then by the end, I had the Orioles pretty much tell me they're picking third overall. And they were like, if you get to us, we're picking you essentially. So like at that point I knew it was going to be pretty high. I just didn't know it was going to be the pirates. I mean, let's talk about this draft class. We're going to pretty much call you the first overall pick because Bryce Harper was a shoe-in. So technically, we're going to call you the number one overall pick. But this draft had Manny Machado, Drew Pomeranz, Matt Harvey, Yasmani Grandal, Chris Sale. Like, this is the craziest draft class maybe of all time. Christian Yelich. Christian Yelich. Yeah, Christian Yelich. Noah Syndergaard. Yeah. Yeah, It was was pretty wild. And at the time, you don't know how good the draft class is going to be until obviously, you know, like five, six, seven years out. And now it's pretty cool to look back and see all the names. Yeah. And were you close with any of these guys? Like like any of these guys, were you guys kind of just talking before the draft? Like, good luck to you, man. Hope you hope you, hope you you go high, all that kind of stuff? Uh, I played on the 1800 Team USA team with, like, 
Harper, Machado, Castellanos. Um, like I, I, we didn't necessarily know each other in the sense where we were boys, but yeah, we kind of all stayed in touch. I knew a guy who got picked pretty high, Karsten Whitson, real well. So yeah, I mean, there was like some form of communication, but we weren't talking every day, you know, asking questions and hyping each other up. Yeah, and the thing is, like, um, what's kind of aggravating about the MLB draft is it's not, like, as hyped up and it's not as big as, like, let's say, like, the NHL draft. And the NHL draft, like, you have to actually, like, be in person at the draft. There's a stage. There's all the executives making the trades on the draft floor. I just think what what what's kind of sucks the MLB draft is, is, like, you're in your living room when you get drafted. Like, obviously, that's kind of <laughs> cool. But yeah. where were you, like, did you throw a massive draft party or was it just, like, just the small people in your room? Yeah, well, it's going to be hard for the baseball draft to ever, like, get huge in my mind because it takes, like, even the best players, it takes a couple years for you to ever see them again on a major league field or on a TV because they go to the minor leagues and struggle for a couple years. But, uh, yeah, I was just at my house. We threw, like, I would call it a pretty big party. We had a bunch of my old old coaches, friends, families, neighbors. Um, my siblings had, like, all their friends over I was only 18, so I wasn't drinking, but we had a bunch there it of is, eggs, yep. tons of alcohol, and everyone was celebrating. And I knew probably 30 minutes before the draft where I was going to get picked, and I didn't tell anybody. And I just that was like the hardest secret I had to sit on. Even though it was only 30 minutes, I wanted everyone to be surprised. Really? So you, you kind of have that in your back pocket. You're like, I'm going second OV, but no one knows. Yeah, yeah. I was just – I kind of blacked out. I was sweating my ass off, like trying not to tell anybody or give it away. Everyone thought I was super nervous, but really I was just, like, trying to keep a secret in. I respect the hell out of that. But, see, if it was me, I would have tweeted it. I would have been the first to report (laughs) it myself. But I want to talk about something. So I'm not one to talk about another man's money, but you signed for 6.5 mil, 6.5 sheets, they call it in the hockey world. Not a big deal, whatever. Describe How cool is that, like, or just, like, to sign for six and a half million, you're 18 years old. You can't even drink yet. You can't even do shit yet, and you have 6.5 million million dollars in your bankroll. So how how weird was that yeah. thing? Yeah, it was weird, dude. I so a bunch of my friends from high school went to LSU, and so I was actually at LSU for like a football game that was in town that weekend, visiting some friends. And I logged into my bank account just to see like if I had enough money for dinner that night type thing. And I opened my bank account up and I had a direct deposit of my signing bonus in there. And I started crying oh. my, my eyes out, dude. It was, it was really cool. Um, yeah. I mean, it forces you to grow up though. Like when you're an 18 year old kid, I didn't go to, I didn't go to college. I didn't, I didn't ever work a normal job. I had to grow up pretty quickly. I was in the spotlight at a different age and I had a little more responsibility as far as like money goes as an 18 year old. Like it's a great blessing, but at the same time, I had to be careful with it and kind of respect that whole situation. Yeah, I felt like you just looked at the bankroll and you're like, boys, dinner's on me, fellas. I just, <laughs> I, it just had to be like that. Yeah. But so, Yeah, no, it was definitely cool to be able to, to do some stuff like that. And Christmas presents instantly got better for people. <laughs> um, I was able to do some pretty cool stuff with it. Yeah, when you signed for that much, like this is like an off-field question because we're like an off-field podcast. When you signed for that much money, I have to ask, is there, like, females, guys, everyone just starts rolling into your DMs? Because, wait a minute, Jameson's a, a multimillionaire now. Let me uh, rekindle this friendship. Um, I never, well, definitely no to the females. But I did have, like, some long-lost friends and stuff 
slide into my DMs with some crazy business proposals, investing <laughs> in farms and different, you know, training facilities and companies and ideas and startups. And I just had the same like boring answer to all of them. Just talk to my financial advisor. If they agree with it, you know, they'll go through with it. But it's kind of like having the, the parent like that's strict. You're just like, eh, ask my parents if I can sleep over if you don't really want to do it. And they'll just turn it down for you. So, yeah, I mean, I, I really don't have any crazy stories, but yeah, people definitely started not necessarily trying to use me, but trying to, to spark my interest on some investments. Yeah. So I got like, what was the, like, the funniest investment opportunity that was offered to you? Like a fuck, like an ice cream shop, a yogurt shop, a farm. What was it? If you, if you have one. Dude, I don't know if I have just one, but I've had so many sports bars um i've had i mean i'm super into coffee that's like one of my huge passions so i've had people that have wanted to start up coffee shops with me uh which actually isn't that far of a stretch for when i'm done playing but um yeah just sports bars i had a couple people want me to invest in like a farm with them like a livestock like cattle farm um vegetables fruits like weird weird like land opportunities and stuff um people wanted me to go in on lake houses with them and timeshares and all that but um i didn't i didn't take the bait on any of it no i respect that and so i want to talk about the futures game you were in the futures game which is honestly i'm going to claim it right now this is the the team usa goat team for the futures game i mean you had yelich arenado castellanos machado you guys won 17 to 5 against the world take that world (laughs) usa to the moon um how cool was that, man? I mean, just the spanking you gave on the world team and just playing with these kind of guys that you see in the major leagues now that are just all-stars, MVPs, gold glove kind of guys. Yeah, that was cool because, like, I didn't know any of those guys. I don't. I didn't play with any of them. Even in the minor leagues, you come across a lot of them or you play against them, but the majority of those guys were just dudes I had read about online. And I'm like a baseball nerd, so I keep up with everybody and all their stats across the league that was really exciting for me to, to share a field with those dudes. I mean, the amount of talent out there was absolutely insane. Um, I'm trying to think Jordano Ventura, I got to start for the world team. It was in Kansas city, RIP to him, but that was really cool. Um, and then we had George Brett as our manager, who I think is all of famer, but he told us, he's like, look, man, these things are showcases. Go show everyone what you got, show the world what you got well, let's beat the shit out of them. Like, we're not here to tie. We're not here to lose. Like, step on their throats and freaking crush them. And I was like, damn, dude. I thought I was here to just kind of let it eat for an inning, maybe drink some beers with the guys after. And he was like, no, we're here to kick some ass. So I think that set the tone. Yeah, just – did you get it? You got an inning that game, did you? Yeah, I threw – I think I threw, like, the sixth inning. I was, you know, way down on the, the pecking order at that stage. I mean – Garrett Cole pitched in front of me. Archie Bradley was like, there were so many dudes rolling out of that bullpen. It was sick. Yeah, there was also one special guy that I kind of wanted to talk about. Uh, he unfortunately passed away recently. Uh, Tyler Skaggs was on that team. Um, what, what, what was Skaggs like? And uh, what was the impression that he had on you just even playing with him just once? Yeah, I, I mean, I never really got the chance to know him, actually. But I knew some guys that had played with him, done spring trainings with him with the Angels and Diamondbacks. Um, and dude, everyone loved that guy. He seemed to be like, you know, as a starting pitcher, you don't, you don't play every day. So when you're in between your starts, you get to kind of hang out in the dugout and hype the guys up and shoot the shit with everybody. And apparently he was just like a world-class teammate. He was super fun in the dugout. 
Um, and he was extremely talented. I mean, usually lefties get away with not having like quite as much talent. Like they're usually considered crafty and stuff. Well, Skaggs had like the craftiness and deception, but he was like a massive dude with a really big arm, a really nasty curveball. So it's just rare that you see like that total package from the left side. Yeah. And uh, I like to talk a lot about the minor leagues in this podcast because I just find it so goddamn like it's just so funny. <laughs> like just Dude, the grind. Unreal. You're considered a professional athlete, but you're eating PB and J's. Like you're on long ass bus rides. Is there like a funny story that you have about the minor leagues that just pops in your head like right now, just right when I say it? Um. Oh yeah. I mean, there's tons, but I, I definitely think you never forget the bus rides. Like I played in the South Atlantic League. And that league goes all the way from Lakewood, New Jersey, up north, all the way down on the east coast to, like, Augusta, Georgia. And you're not flying. And we didn't take sleeper buses with, like, beds. We were just taking old, like, Greyhound buses. Guys were sleeping in the aisles, under the, under the seats. Um, people were pissing in Gatorade bottles. Like, people were playing games on their phone at 4 in the morning. And all I heard was, like, the noise coming off their phone from the games. Um I don't know. It's like the worst of times because you're grinding, and every, but everyone's in it together. So it's kind of cool. Like you bond through the struggle. You know, everyone's sharing bedrooms and you're staying at nasty hotels. But my favorite story probably is we showed up to Augusta, Georgia for a game and the hotel wasn't ready for us for whatever reason. Just a minor league typical, like <laughs> the hotel wasn't ready for check-in. So we all just slept on the bus and our manager got to get a room. The next day, starting pitcher and catcher got a room, and that was it. Everyone else just slept on the bus together, and then we went to the field the next day and, like, kicked the crap out of whoever we were playing. That's embarrassing. I'll just but, tell you that right now. That's that's the most embarrassing thing of all time. You lose to a team that just slept on a bus that didn't even have a hotel room. Yeah. Yep. We just slept, like, on a bus right next to some, some train tracks in Augusta, Georgia, and then showed up and won. Yeah. I guess it just goes to show you sometimes it doesn't matter, you know? That's why you play the game. Yeah, it doesn't matter. And the biggest thing, because you are the highest draft pick on this podcast, second overall. We've had some 14 overall, 16 overall. I just want to congratulate you on that, being the highest uh, (laughs) prospect or draft pick on this show. But I I always wonder this, just being the guy that obviously, like I said, not talking about another another man's money, you signed for 6.5 mil. What is that like to just be in the minor leagues and you're literally living like a peasant. Like you're living like a guy that's working at the oil mill. Like you're you're eating you're eating shitty food. You're at shitty hotels. How how weird is that for you to like be so high at one point and then you get shipped in to a minor league team and you're just at the bottom? Dude, you know what's funny about it is that like I don't think I knew how much money I actually signed for because <laughs> I went straight to Charleston, West Virginia, and that's where I played. And we had a few guys that signed for like decent money. But for the most part, our team was just grinders. Like, they basically got a plane ticket when they signed, no money. Um, so I didn't – back then, there was no Uber. There was no Postmates. Like, these apps didn't exist. So I was just in there with the boys grinding. Like, I seriously don't think I knew how much money I had. I was sharing a room, sleeping with three other dudes in the same room, just like everyone else. Like, we were taxiing on the road to wherever we could go find food. We were eating at Bob Evans every morning. Like we were just going to Dairy Queen at the empty mall for lunch. Like I think if I went back now, it would be different. But I just had no idea what was going on, so I just grinded like everyone else. Yeah. What was the first thing you purchased with that six point five million dollars? Uh, I bought 
uh, condo back where I grew up in the Woodlands, Texas. I bought a condo like pretty much two days after I got my bonus that I still have to this day. Really? So what kind of car were you ripping around in when you were 18? Uh, I had a red Dodge Ram. It was it was nice enough. Like it was it had leather seats and it had some TVs in it and stuff. Like it was all I needed. I still drive a truck. I have a Ford right now, but I'm six six, so I feel like I need a truck. I don't fit in those little cars really. Yeah, for sure. And like I want, I wanted to say like the we everyone was talking about Bryce Harper. This Bryce Harper, the Nationals won the Bryce Harper Stakes. The Pittsburgh Pirates won the Jamison Tyon Stakes. That, that that should have been talked about a little bit more. The second overall pick in the cement, Jamison Tyon. He knew about it. The crazy thing is he knew about it 30 minutes before and didn't tell anyone, but that that is just bananas. But when you're in the minors, I feel like the biggest thing is is, is the mental aspect of the game and, and how hard it is to kind of stay positive when you're just literally grinding in the trenches with these kind of athletes that should be obviously getting paid more. How what was What was it like for you, especially in the minors, being a guy that was just such a highly touted prospect? Dude, if I have... I don't sound like I go around giving minor league guys advice on the daily, but if I did have advice for minor league guys, it would be to never lose sight of like where you're trying to end up. I think in the minor leagues, like when you're riding those buses and the hotel rooms aren't ready on the road, like it's so easy to forget why you're doing it. And that you feel like so forgotten about and so far away from your goal, but you're not really as far as you think. Like if you get promoted and have some good games, like you can always fly through the system and be in the major leagues pretty quickly. So I don't know though, man, like in the minor leagues, you feel very, even if you're the number one prospect, whatever level you're at, you feel real far away and forgotten about wherever you're at. Yeah. And that's the hardest thing. I feel like why people kind of just even first overall picks or even first round picks, they kind of fall into the kind of category where they're a bust is because it's so hard. Like, Major League Baseball, the minor leagues, is easily the hardest thing to get through in all of baseball. Like, it's it's no questions yeah. asked. Because in other leagues, you yeah. have one league, right? But for baseball, it's yeah. so hard. What level for you was the hardest? Yeah, I mean, it's just easy to get lost in that trap, dude. Like, all right, maybe I'm just a minor league guy. Maybe this is where I belong, you know? Um, I don't know. I felt like I had, like, a decently steady progression. I'd say my toughest year on and off the field is probably my first year in Charleston, West Virginia. Like I'm 19 years old. I'm trying to learn the ropes. I'm living on my own for the first time. I just signed for all that money. I'm, I have expectations and hype, but I'm also extremely raw. Like I had a lot I needed to learn and a lot of, a lot of growth needed. So that year was probably like the most important year in my career, but at the time it was pretty rough. Yeah, no, like you were definitely like, like I said, I searched you on, everything and there's just so many articles about like how high projectability your arm was just even based out of high school and the minor leagues actually does help you kind of learn and kind of grow into a pitcher but I, I wanted to bring something up what's like um what w- was there a time in the minor leagues for you where you kind of stepped back and you're like holy shit like I'm a professional baseball player uh yeah I felt that honestly I felt like every offseason when I got home it hit me like when you're in the season and you're chilling with the boys and you're putting the work in and you're grinding it just is what it is and then you go home and you talk to people you grew up with and stuff and they're all they all kind of remind you that you're a pro baseball player and then in the off season your job is basically just to work out eat healthy stay healthy try to find a way to get better so when i when i'd go home from the off season i would always like reflect on the year and be like damn dude that that was pretty dope i traveled the country just playing baseball yeah for sure and 
talking about the minor leagues, what was the weirdest city? You don't have to name the weirdest city, but what was like a, a town that you were in that you were like, where in God's name am I? Oh, dude, I've got so many. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Okay, I'm going to preface this by saying, like, every town I went to, I would leave there and be like, oh, there was a cool restaurant or coffee shop or, like, hey, it's, it's pretty in nature or whatever. I get why people live here, but Jamestown, New York, Batavia, New York, um, I was just kind of like, dude, where am I? What am I doing here? How did I end up here? The stadium was old. Mahoning Valley in Ohio, like, there's just not much there. The malls are completely empty. I don't know what the people do in those towns. And then the stadiums are just, like, completely, completely outdated. The fans, I mean, they weren't showing up. So those were probably, like, my three memorable spots. Yeah. and But there's a lot of them. Where you played in the minor leagues, I feel like, no offense, was just, like, all kind of redneck people. And I, I love to ask this to uh, my guests. What's like the funniest thing, like, or the best chirp, like a fan has ever said to you, where you're like, "Damn, he, this motherfucker, this guy got me." <laughs> I've got a lot, but like the best ones are always when it's kind of empty, and you can just hear everything. Like, you, you know, you should learn to tune it out, but like, if there's 50 people in a stadium and with those acoustics, like, you're gonna hear everything, no matter what people say. <laughs> So, like, in the big leagues, it's just always a buzz. Like, the crowd noise just literally sounds like a buzz. You can't hear anything except that. So, I'm pitching in high one time, and there's – I'm not kidding. There's probably, like, 12 people in the stands, and it's pissing rain. <laughs> and I, I don't know why these two old men didn't run for cover, but they're just sitting there as I, like, started losing all my control. The ball was wet. I was just – I was sucking so bad. And these dudes are like – looking me up on their phone they're like second overall pick he signed for what this dude's terrible i thought he was supposed to be good like it wasn't necessarily the most witty chirp but it was just the most direct they were like this guy sucks i thought he was supposed to be good and i heard every single word and then at that point too i'm like it wasn't like i'm gonna show you otherwise it's like yeah i'm terrible today you're right damn see that one hits home when they start talking about the money like i said you never talk about another man's money Let's let's talk yep. about AAA. So AAA, obviously you're carving. You get the call to the big leagues. Where were you when you got the call, and who was the first person that you called? I was in Columbus, Ohio. Which talking about like crappy minor league cities, that one was yep. a big surprise city. That's a really really fun city. Um, so I'm in Columbus, Ohio. I'm just in my hotel room at like midnight or whatever after a game, chilling in my room with my roommate. And my phone rings, and it was from, like, San Luis Obispo, California or something. And I kind of immediately thought that was our manager's number. I picked it up. There was no prank. Like, a lot of times managers will prank guys and stuff. There was absolutely no prank. I kind of knew it was probably coming at some point. I was pitching pretty well. And he was just like, hey, they need you up there tomorrow. Like, we're going to get you a driver set up in the morning, and you're, you're heading up. And that was it. Meet me in the lobby. So I called my girlfriend and I called my parents. Those were the first, the first couple. Um, and then from there, you just got to get moving. You got to get all your family up there, your friends up there that can make it, agent, coaches, whoever can make it up there. You got to start informing everybody. Yeah, so you're in the big leagues. And when did it kind of kick? Because I asked this earlier, but it's a little bit different in the big leagues. When did it kind of kick in? Like, holy shit, like I'm, literally, I'm pitching in the major leagues right now. Like I'm about to make my Dude. first career start ever. Yeah, I uh, 
Well, first, like my debut was against the Mets, which is a pretty storied franchise, yep. you know, coming from New York. And it was in Pittsburgh. And I'm facing Noah Syndergaard in my first start. And like pitching is just what I've done my whole life. I'm not nervous about it. I, I get excited. I get some nerves, I guess. But like, I wouldn't say I'm like really, really nervous when I pitch, no matter the stage. But I don't have the best hitting experience. Like, I'm not great at hitting. And I didn't do it a ton in the minors. So I go up there in like the second or third inning off of Noah Syndergaard and I have to get a bunt down and like you could just hear his fastball sizzling by. The lights were bright. The Mets uniforms are freaking sick. Like the field looked amazing. And I was like, yeah, in uh, in Pittsburgh, the view of the city is amazing. I was like, this is it. I'm here, you know? Yeah. And in that start, which was so crazy is, I mean, you, you held your own, man. You're going up against a guy that's Noah Syndergaard, Thor, ex-Blue Jays prospect. Shout out to the Jays for trading them. But <laughs> you're, 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 you're pitching against Syndergaard, and you're actually doing pretty well. So how cool was that? Like, I mean, just to, when you could – after the game, you kind of get a chance to step back and, and look back on it. What was, like, the coolest part of your debut? Um, probably afterwards, just getting to link up with, like, my family, my siblings, my girlfriend, the whole – experience after because at that point it's not just about you it's about everyone that helped you get there and they got to kind of realize my dream with me like we all dreamt it together you know it wasn't just me as a kid that did it all on my own I had a lot of people in my life that helped so probably just getting to soak it in and share it all with with them yeah a cliche answer but it really is the coolest moment no I respect that answer and um I have something to ask you does does the year 2018 ring a bell for you yeah, it does, it does, doesn't it? Because that's the year that you put the MLB in your back pocket, leading the MLB in complete games, complete game shutouts, and then you won 13 games as a starter, which was top 10 in the league, I think. How surreal was that year for you, man? Because that was the year that kind of put Jamison Tyon on the map. I'm here to stay. I'm a big leaguer now. How That, that year must have been incredible. Yeah, 2018 was for sure the most fun I've ever had playing baseball, like, a lot of our, our pitching staff was young. We had a really, really cool team. Um, you know, we finished above 500. We didn't make the playoffs or anything, but we still won more than we lost. We competed really well. And then selfishly, like, I felt like my whole life I had just heard about upside. Like, man, this dude's got upside or potential. And I felt like in 2018 I started to actually finally kind of realize that upside and that potential. And I showed it on a pretty consistent basis, which was refreshing. And it let me know that, like, I can do this at this level. Not only can I stay here, but I can be good at this level, you know? Yeah, and, and the thing is, uh, when I wasn't, uh, I was pretty into baseball. I think I was in junior college at this time, and you got player of the week. I think it was the, fir- it was the first week of the year, or was it like the second? It was, it was something early, right? Yeah, I don't even, yeah, I don't remember. It was definitely early. It was like, I think I went home opener, like my first start of the year, and then, after that, I threw a complete game, one hitter, and I think it was like those two games put together that got that. So that what, got that done. What even happens when you get Player of the Week? Like I, I always wonder that. Do you like a plaque or like a like a an award, or is it just like congratulations? You get Player of the Week. Like you don't get anything. Um, I got, I got some like model replica truck from like WB Mason. That's like an MLB sponsor that puts kind of like your name and stuff on it. I gave it to Jordy Mercer's kid who's obsessed with trucks. And uh, then you get like a watch, which I got to be completely honest. I don't know where it is. Uh-oh. Um, 
but just a ton of like interview requests, MLB network, local media wanted to do stuff. Um, I guess it was cool, but yeah, I mean, it's not like you get anything super, super memorable. The, the thing that really stuck out to me that year, and it's not on the field. This is because this is how my brain works. I'm just, I'm, it's an elite brain. It's not even an on the field thing. You took a hundred and two mile an hour line drive to the skull, and you still pitched. I believe in that game. That is, I'm going to call it right here, put it on the records book, the greatest accomplishment on a baseball field in the history of MLB. How, what the hell, how, how did that happen? And what was going on in your head when you got drill, drove by a fastball in the face? Dude, I've actually been hit in the head twice now. Oh my God. And it freaking sucks. Um, the first time it happened, I ended up having a really good game against the Brewers. That one was smoked. Um, but the game kind of slows down and you see it in slow-mo like coming at your face and you just kind of quickly turn. So at least it doesn't hit you in your nose or your eyes. But uh, yeah, I remember when I stood up, like I knew they were going to ask me, <clears throat> ask me some tough questions. Like, you know, where are we? What's your name? Uh, so I was like already running through those immediately in my head. Like, all right, I got to nail these questions because I want to <laughs> keep pitching. Um the first time it happened, I like stood up, dude. My legs were so shaky. They asked me to throw warm up pitches, and I literally thought I was gonna fall over. Not from my head, but from my legs being so shaky. Like, I'd imagine that'd be like what being a fighter is, where you get that first punch and you're like, oh, now it's real. Like now we're going. So I ended up pitching in that one and doing pretty well. And then it happened again this past year, and just an inning that like blew up on me. And uh, Anthony Rizzo, I think, hit it off my head. And it was just the worst inning of my life. Like, we had four or five errors. I made some terrible pitches. And then to cap it off, I get drilled in the face, which is just disrespectful. So, yeah, it's no fun. I hope that's I hope that's all that happens, and I hope it never happens again. Yeah, I think that's just the Canadian coming out of you, just the, the gritty, <laughs> blue-collar kind of guy that just will take, take punches and punch right back. Yeah, I mean, the easy thing would be to just lay on the ground. Like, obviously, if you're hurt, you're hurt. Like, if it really jacks you up, you're hurt. I got lucky it didn't, like, hit me in a worse spot. But I felt like I couldn't show my weakness in that point. I, I wanted to show, like, you didn't hit it that hard. Like, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to get back up. Yeah, no, and, like, that that's the thing that's actually crazy is, like, like you can get hit, you can get hit by, by a hockey puck and you can hit by a football. But the baseball is, like, is crazy because there's no protection out there. So are you the kind of guy that's thinking like, hey, like, honestly, I might be all for protection on my head while I'm pitching? Dude, I'm I'm all for it if it, like, doesn't affect the way I pitch. I'm so used to wearing a certain hat now that I, I actually, after those happened, I tried on some different hats, like some protective hats. There's some prototypes coming out. And I was like, dude, I'm all for trying. Like, I'll try just about anything. But it's not that they didn't look cool. It's that they just felt, like, really off. Like, your head and your balance and all that is so important in pitching. I wasn't ready to – I'll take another shot off the head uh, if it, you know, allows me to pitch normally and continue my career for a long time. I think there's got to be, like, a balance. They need to make something protective, but they need to make it more efficient. Like, it can't be bulky and too heavy. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to ask something a little bit. Uh, it, it's something I, I, I always wondered with MLB guys, which is like, this is kind of like a funny slash fucked up question, is have you given up like a home run in your major league career where you looked at that, you're like, oh my God, that was a nuke. And, and who and who did it? Oh, yeah. I Dude, I've given up tons. Yeah, every pitch, like, if a pitcher tells you they don't think that, 
like they'd be wrong. You're pissed. Yeah, obviously. But like, dude, when you give them up, you, you definitely know. Um, the most impressive home run, like if you ask anyone that has played with me, like this home run's kind of famous, but it was actually in the minor leagues. I gave one up to Marcelo Zuna, um, who's actually on the Cardinals in our division for a couple of years. But in high A, he was with the Marlins, and we were in Jupiter, and I threw him like a changeup, which is just my, my worst pitch. Like righty on righty, never throw that pitch. I never throw that pitch. I don't know why I thought it was a good idea. And he hit it like into the parking lot over a building in left field and like I still get texts from my pitching coach that year, like talking shit about that. Like it's forever embedded. I'll never throw a right on right change up to like a big middle of the order horse ever again. You live and you learn. And at least, it, at least it wasn't on like a national stage. Like you're not pitching in the spotlight when you get right. up an absolute nuke, because I couldn't even imagine how that, what that, what that is like. And pitching in the major leagues, like obviously you don't have to shout these uh, teams out, but is there teams that you guys kind of play where it's like, damn, man, I have to go up against these fans. Like, is it kind of in your thought process? Is there a team that's kind of like that? Uh, I know in San Francisco, like the bullpen is just on the field. And, uh, I mean, the fans are really, really close to you. So going there, it's a bit of a hassle, like warming up with fans five feet away from you, yelling at you the whole time. Um, and then at Wrigley Field, it's pretty funny. Like, it's not so much when I'm pitching, but it's more when I'm, like, shagging batting practice, out in the outfield playing catch before a game or running. Dude, they just wear you out. They know everything about you. They wear you out. They want, they want you to throw up baseballs, and if you don't throw them up, they just destroy you. But it's kind of fun. Like It's what makes them great fans. Yeah, and the thing that actually I forgot to mention that aggravates the living hell out of me is I was watching your, for your debut start, and the amount of mispronunciations, if that's how you say it, of your last name is incredible. <laughs> like the, guy, the, the announcer was like this. He's like, Jameson Tayo. I was like, Tayo? I, was, I, had to re- I, I thought he said it wrong. How many mispronunciations? I don't know how to say it. Mispronunciations of your name have you heard? And what's, like, the craziest one? Dude, I I mean, I've heard it all. Like, so the proper way is, like, a tie, and you own it. So Tyone. And I've heard Tayo. I've heard Talion. I've heard uh, Talon, which isn't even close. <laughs> Tyoon. Like, dude, I, I've literally heard anything you can imagine with those letters in any – different way you want to put it um but i've actually got a funny story we were playing an exhibition game in montreal and you know we have our names on the back of our jerseys and i was up against the rail and a dude behind the dugout yelled my name and his son wanted a baseball or whatever and i was like bro you pronounce my last name better than i pronounce my last name because it's french canadian (laughs) i was like only in montreal can these guys pronounce it better than me so i gave the kid a ball because his dad pronounced it so well there it is. And, and like, I, if they have a major league team, I want to first report it here. Jameson, Jameson Tyone. Is that how you say it? I think, I think yep, that's nailed Yeah, it. there it is. Might be a future Montreal Expo. We don't know. Keep that, keep that one in the back of the mind, ESPN. <laughs> um, that's all I'm going to say. But that, 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 that's what I feel like is, is crazy about, like, it's just crazy about being a big leaguer is, like, people are just mispronounced. Mis- they don't give a shit. They mispronounce the, sh- the shit out of your name. They don't care. And that, that's the funniest thing with you is, is like, it kind of adds something to you is like, people are always asking you like, what, how the fuck, how do you say your last name and all that kind of stuff. And I feel like it's like, even like that with like, uh, 
Stephen Brault. Like, even his last name is all, is incredibly hard to pronounce. And I wanted to bring up Brault. Actually, Brault, if you're listening to this, I texted this guy yesterday. I said, I have Jamo on the podcast tomorrow. Can you tell me a funny story about him? Buddy just big yeah. league the shit out of me. Didn't even answer. So if you're listening to this, wow. Stephen Brault, I mean, I'm not going to, I mean, a little bit of a rough patch in our friendship, but it's fine. What's the funniest story that you have about him? Let's throw a shot back at him or something weird that he does. Dude. I've got a lot on Brawl, but I was actually, I'll, I'll give him a pass because I think he was traveling all day yesterday because we were all at a wedding together in Lancaster, PA this past weekend. So Brawl went to a D3 college as like a literary arts or like a performing arts and theater and like vocal major. One of those, maybe vocal. It was a D, I was a D2, but yeah, so you're he right. He loves to sing, which is cool. And everyone wants to, like, talk shit about it because it's, you know, a Major League Baseball player who loves to sing, but he's actually really good. And that's not, a, you know, I guess a jab. But me and him, one night we got, um, like, options from the big leagues to AAA just as a paper move before September call-ups. And this, we were in Chicago, and we weren't allowed to be at the field. Like, we couldn't dress out. We couldn't be around the media. Like, we had to actually leave. So we went out that night together for some drinks and we went to like a karaoke bar and Brault goes up to sing karaoke and he just sings one song and it was a live band karaoke, you know, with like yeah, old yeah. drummer backup, like they had a bass guitar, they had an acoustic guitar player and he finishes the song and they were like, dude, holy shit, that was really good. Will you just stay up here and jam with me for a little while? Brault was on stage for like an hour and a half just jamming with this band while I was sitting there by myself drinking alone and it's just wild to think that he's a major league baseball player and he can he can perform like that. He loves the stage. What a legend. What a legend. That, I mean, that's just a legendary story. And I brought it up with him on the podcast. I think he might be might be the MLB leader all time in national anthems sung at a big league park because he's done it a couple times, I believe, right? Yeah, he's pretty damn good, dude. He's not bad. Has he done it when you're on the mound? I feel like that would just get the yeah. boys going. Yeah, so I was in the bullpen, and he did it um, last year. And, you know, like, we see so many national anthems that we know what a good one is. We know what a bad one is. Like, if you're going to be bad, you have to be quick. That'll at least make it, like, people won't remember you as being bad, just to get it over with, you know? So Brault was quick. He was on pitch. He didn't try to hit anything that he wasn't capable of. Um, I mean, same thing, like, dude, we wanted to wear him out for singing the anthem, but, like, it was probably one of the best national anthems we've ever had. Yeah, you, you, you can't chirp the guy. I mean, the guy has it all going no. for him. Like I, like I said to him on the podcast, he's a man rocket, which means he's good looking. He, he's a major league pitcher. He has money. He dresses well. There's not one thing that's wrong with Stephen Brault. And like I said, this is a pumping tires podcast. I like to pump, pump the guy's tires, get their uh, confidence yep. up a little bit. But, like, it's just I, I, I got to admit it. There's nothing wrong with the guy. Yeah, he's my mom's favorite player. So let that let that do the talking. You know? like, moms love him. The ladies love him. The teammates love him. Like, there's just not much I can chirp him. So this wedding we were actually just at, I got one more story about him. We were hopping on a bus, like a charter bus, back to the hotel after the wedding. And they were blaring some music in there for us. And we were with a bunch of people we didn't know. Uh, but they are all cool. They were all partying and stuff. And so... Like, Don't Stop Believing by Journey comes on. And Brault just gets up in the aisle and starts walking up and down the aisle, just going to town singing the song. And that's just Brault right there. Didn't know anybody in there, and he just owned the moment. 
and just the ladies, like I said, I, I call it. It's just they're probably just going bananas when this guy's doing it, just based on the, yeah. the slick back hair. And I feel like when that's kind of intimidating for like the other guys when they see that shit going on on the bus, they're like, "Holy shit, I got to bring my A game to this wedding." <laughs> yeah, they're like, "This guy's a big leaguer and he can sing." It was pretty awesome. And then me and Joe Musgrove were just sitting there, like everyone was so surprised by it. Me and Joe were just sitting there, like this is about right. Like on our bus rides, you know, sometimes rookies will get up and have to sing, and if no one is volunteering to sing or anything, Brault will just get up and start singing, or he'll start roasting everybody. Like the dude's just not afraid of the stage. Not that, yeah, just confidence to a T. And is there any guys like on the Pirates that like is like a, fa- a female fan favorite? Like that girls are just co- are just cheering for at the game and those kind of stuff you don't have to single someone out but we kind of have a kind of a couple guys like that on the blue jays randall gritchick in toronto it's yeah. just this guy i'll tell him if he's a future guest on this podcast i'll say it right to his face uncomfortably good looking and that's just all, yeah he's all, very good looking. all due respect is, is there a guy on your team that's kind of like that so actually i work out at the same facility as randall does in the offseason we're both kind of houston area guys he's also incredibly strong Good looking, strong, great jawline. Just you know, incredible. Good for him. Incredible. Good for him. But uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think. Guys on our team, a lot of our guys are like, you know, very married, very locked down. Um, Joe Musgrove is single, and he's just one of those dudes. Like, he's never done anything that he's bad at. Like, he's just better than you at everything. Like, you want to go play darts with him? He's better than me. You want to play pool? He's better. You want to play a video game? He's going to find a way to be better. Like he's just good at everything. So I, I think, and he's single. So shout out, shout out any girls listening and get a Joe Musgrove if you want. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think he's a dude that's kind of just got that like cooler than cool. He's, he doesn't try to be cool. He just is, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, he's just like the Fonz. He's just that kind of guy where he doesn't need yeah, to flaunt it. Just he just cool. has it going. He's like Matthew McConaughey. He's like that. Now, that's the yeah. kind of guy that Joe Musgrove is like. And, Joe, if you want to come on the podcast, I mean, I'd love to chat it up a little bit, talk about your DMs. Have you seen his DMs? Is there, like, they have to just be flooded? I have not. He keeps it pretty quiet in that regard. But now that you bring it up, I'm, I'm going to ask to see him for sure. Yeah, they have to be just insane. And like I said, Joe Musgrove, if you want to hop on, or even Randall Gritchick, because Randall Gritchick, big Toronto guy. But is, is, there, is, like, is there guys on the team? Obviously, you're close with everyone. But is there guys on the team that you've been with since day one that are just the closest friends that you have? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's definitely, like, guys that you're closer with just because, you, you know, you go way back with them. So, like, our AAA team in 2016 had, like, Adam Frazier, me, Josh Bell, Trevor Williams, Chad Cool. I'd say we kind of all, like, stick together. And then when we traded for Musgrove from the Astros, he, like, immediately came over and fit in with everybody. He was my spring training roommate this past year. Um, I'd say me and Joe, me and Chad, uh, me and Adam Frazier have been playing together for a while now. So um, we're kind of like the longest tenured guys that like came up with the Pirates and are now still playing with us. Yeah, one of those guys that you actually came up in the trenches is like a really good friend of mine. He, he, he's been on the podcast twice, Nick Kingham. Um, oh, yeah. You were actually at his wedding. Like I said, I, I wasn't invited, Nick. If you're listening to this, I'm not mad about it, just disappointed. I'll be at the 25th anniversary. Um, what what's, what was it like? Like, What was Nick like when you guys were like coming up? Do you have any funny stories about Nick? Oh, God, dude. I've got a lot. I've got a lot on Nick. Like, You know Nick. He's just the loudest, funniest dude in the room. Very, very uh, rambunctious. 
But so I remember the first day I met Nick, I walked through the doors of Pirate City, which is our minor league like facility. I'm just a kid from a suburb in Houston. I don't have any tattoos. Like I'm pretty vanilla. I'm pretty boring. I walk through the doors and I meet Nick and he's just like wearing a deep V-neck. Like I'm pretty sure he's got tattoos at this point. He's got his earrings in, his hair's all spiked up. He's on his computer looking at like $300,000 cars. And I'm just like, dude, what am I getting myself into? Like I've never been around people like this. And then sure enough, Nick's a sweetheart. One of my best friends, like me and him have gotten so close. We've lived together a bunch over the years. Um, but yeah, he's he's a good teammate. If you ever need someone to go get a drink after a good game, he's my guy. If you ever need anyone after a bad game, he's the guy. Um, he's just been there for every moment, and we've kind of kind of grinded together the whole way up. We rehabbed our Tommy John surgeries together, so we go way back. Yeah, and I have a funny story about Nick. So I was like I told you earlier, I was in Vegas like two. I think it was a week and a half ago, and I was there with Nick. And we're at this, like, it's Monday night. Like, it's, it's at a place called Parkway. He's there with his wife. Nolan's there. Um, a couple of our other buddies are there. And Nick is just getting after it. I get there immediately. He buys me a massive White Claw. He's like, just take this. Oh, so nice. we start cranking. <laughs> and Logan, may I add, if you're listening to this, Logan is a beauty. She's one of the coolest per- people I've ever met. Like, the people that, like, she can get, get after it. She drinks. Like, she has fun. Oh, yeah. And they're playing beer pong, and, and they're ta- discussing this rule, and they're having this little couple argument across the table from us just roasting each other because Nick is so <laughs> set on one of these rules. I don't remember what it was, and Logan is just torching Nick, like torching him, saying, I went to ECU, I know all this. Nick is Nick likes to get after it, and uh, this argument was the funniest shit I've ever seen in my life. It was just, I was standing across the table, I was just like, what in the hell is going on? And then they just chilled right after, and we're all Dude. good. Nick would argue that water's not wet. Like, he'll argue about anything. And he'll, like, he should have been a lawyer, man. Like, <laughs> that dude can just bicker and argue with the best of them. But it provides for some pretty dang good entertainment. But, yeah, he doesn't hold a grudge. You can argue about something, then, like, ten minutes later, he'll be buying you a shot or a white claw. Like, it's pretty hilarious. Yeah, shout out Nick, man. Like I said, I'm so fired up for him even to be in, like, the like South Korea, like, somewhere he where, where, they, where they want him and all that kind of stuff. How hard was that for you when he kind of got – um dealt away from the pirates or just dfa'd yeah dude i'm fired up for him too i think he's like one dude that's going to go over there and just make the most out of a new culture he's going to embrace it he's going to love it but yeah i was pretty sad i mean i think i'm i might be the last 2010 pirates draft class kid left me and nick were the last two standing um so when he when he left i was pretty pretty bummed and me and him got to a point where we weren't just teammates anymore. Like we were, we were boys, you know, I was in his wedding. We're freaking boys. We talk every day through text and our group texts and stuff. So that wasn't just losing a teammate. That was losing like, you know, a good, good friend that I'd go to breakfast with on the road. We'd hang out in each other's rooms all the time. We'd go out together and stuff. So that one hurt a little bit. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you about a couple of other teammates that you had. You did mention with this guy earlier, the $300 million man, Garrett Cole. What was that like playing with Garrett Cole? Dude, it was, I mean, it was cool. He, uh, he's super intense. He's extremely sharp. Like I, if I'm, if I'm an owner and I'm investing in a player, he's who I'm most comfortable investing my money in. Like he plays to, to be great. He's not playing for the money. He's playing to literally maximize his potential and live it all out. Like this dude is obsessed, obsessed with being great. Like he's always working at something. He's extremely intense. Like 
yeah, he's the first guy when I got called. So we, we kind of came up together in the minor leagues. We lived together in spring training. We cooked dinners together. Like we're friends like that. But he showed me what being like a real big leaguer is like, like how to play catch the right way, how to walk, talk, act the right way. Um, he was just kind of that like role model for me, even though we were boys and we were friends off the field. He was like such a good example at the field. He was always working on something, whether it was video or analytics or weight room or training room. Like the dude is just always doing something like he'll come over to my house for dinner now and he'll you know be talking about his mechanics. Like it's just it's a way of life for him. You know what I mean? Like he's always trying to get better. So you play with all sorts of guys, guys in all different walks of life. But Garrett was an example of like, he didn't just stumble upon 300 mil. Like he's freaking, he's put himself in that position. Yeah. And um, the next guy I wanted to ask you about is I'm Italian. This guy is an Italian legend. He caught you your first game, I believe, Francisco (laughs) Cervelli. This guy's an electric factory, may I add. Dude, he's... He's probably the most interesting human I've ever been around. He's Venezuelan and Italian. So he loves like the finer things. He loves good coffee. He loves good red wine. He loves, he's a huge foodie, but then he also embraces his Venezuelan side of life. Um, He's always at a beach. He loves the water. Like he's such an interesting dude. Um, But Cervelli is just like one of the sweetest souls. Like, he just loves love. He just wants to be loved and love everyone. He wants to hug. He just wants to have fun. And, and he's always smiling. He's always loud. He's always making people laugh. Um, but I could always count on Cervelli. Like after a good start, after I'd throw a complete game or something, like I'd have a $400 bottle of insane wine in my locker the next day. Like he loved celebrating with red wine. What a legend. What a legend. And the last one I wanted to ask you about, this guy is like a – He's a hero in Pittsburgh. He's the kind of guy that you, you mentioned his name and you think Pittsburgh Pirates immediately right off the bat, no matter where he plays. Andrew McCutcheon, you played with him. How cool was that to play with Andrew McCutcheon? Yeah, I knew exactly who you were going to be asking me about when you started off. Like, he, yeah, he's still, he's still so Pittsburgh. He, uh, he's probably, like, one of the only dudes I've ever been starstruck when I met. Like, talk about cool. This dude's got an insane sneaker collection. He dresses so well. Like, this dude's just cool, man. And, and he's, like, electric. I remember when I got called up, and he was kind of in and out of, like, a slump and being really hot. And I was talking with Garrett on the bench. We were just talking about Kutch and how good he is and how kind of, like, how he's got that superstar swag about him. And Garrett was like, bro, just wait till he gets hot. Like, his version of hot is different than everyone else. Like, just stay tuned. Like, just sit back and enjoy it. And then, sure enough, I got to watch him go on a run, and it was it was really cool to watch. Yeah, and like like I was talking about with Nick earlier, Nick used to get roasted on Twitter, and I used to I used to back it up. I used to roast the guys back. I'm hated by a lot of forty year olds on Twitter. I actually search your name, and there's no hate. This just goes to show <laughs> how much of just a stay at home class act kind of guy you are. What actually is talked about a lot is. It's just random trade talks about you that these guys do in play a GM mode. Is that something you kind of look into? Do you ever just search your name on Twitter or just kind of look at your mentions? Um, I don't search my name, but I get mentioned in a lot of random stuff, dude. Like, yeah, I, I get proposed trades all the time. I get people that'll tell me, hey, you had a great year, whatever. And then I have people that tell me I'm a bust and they just feel the need to tag me in it. Like, dude, I'm doing everything I can over here, I promise. Um, 
I go through stages though, like where I'll be active on social media and then I go through stages where I just go ice cold and I just completely get off. Like I'm hot and cold with it. Yeah. And there was also something that you tweeted a couple of days ago that I wanted to bring to light. You tweeted about podcast uh, recommendations and luckily I found you one or did you find one actually? Did you find any podcast? No free ads. Dude, just say yes or no. It, I actually need to go through all of my recommendations because I saw them as they were coming in and I know I got some really, really good ones. But, like, I need to find a way to organize this and see who recommended what the most. Um, yeah, I got a lot of true crime stuff recommended. I got a lot of, like, how I built this recommended. Um, I got a ton of random random stuff. I mean, it just shows you how many freaking different options there are. Um, I got Theo Vaughn recommended, which I know a bunch of my buddies listen to him. Joe Rogan, of course. Um yeah, I just need to, like, scroll through and, and organize it all because there's so many. It's overwhelming. I'll just save you the time. So what I'll do for you is I'm going to brainstorm a tweet for you, and it's just going to be this. It's going to be like this. Look no further, friends. I found the officially unofficial podcast with a host who has a face for radio and is an electric factor. <laughs> I feel like that should be the, the little brainstorm tweet. Add a little limelight to this interview. Yeah, thanks for the recommendation, guys, but I, I found a podcast that I, I'll be loyal to the rest of my life. <laughs> this is the one I'm going to be listening to on the road. And this is uh, this is kind of my last question because I don't know if th this, this is just Twitter fingers or people just coming up with bullshit on Twitter, but it said that you are actually like you're out till the 2021 season. Is that true? Uh, yeah, we'll see. I, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I'll be out till 2021. I'm about to start my throwing program, uh, like my surgery, post-surgery throwing program, but I feel freaking amazing. Like I feel extremely strong. My rehab's working. The surgery worked. I'm weirdly like insanely confident in my progress, but if it, it kind of depends like where I'm at in my program, if it's not worth pushing and risking my future for like maybe being able to pitch one month, then I'm not going to do it. Cause the, based off the time of when I got my surgery and stuff, it might make more sense just to use this full year as a rehab year, get a full off season next year. And then, ride that into the next season healthy yeah and the, the coolest thing about you is, is like what people don't really give you as much credit for is the fact that you've ma managed to like deal with all these obstacles all these injuries and still make it to the big leagues man because i'm gonna tell you man there, there's probably no one that's ever had to deal with as much stuff have you, that, that you've dealt with and you and is in the position that you're in right now which is crazy just talk about like um how hard that was for you just grinding through all this stuff and still staying positive yeah, yeah, I've I've had a lot of a lot of stuff thrown my way for sure, but I don't know, man. Like each one, I feel like I I rehab it, I get over it, I move on, and I like truly put it in the past. So then, whenever something else resurfaces, it's like totally new. It's not like I'm still dwelling on the last one. You know what I mean? I'm not like, oh man, I had that surgery. Now I've got this one coming up. Like it's a total new rehab and a total new experience. So I kind of just like compartmentalize them. Like each one's different, but yeah, I mean, I would love it if I never have to rehab anything ever again after this. But the thing that kind of keeps driving me is, like, I know I still have a lot of promise. I know I have a lot to give this game. and I'm nowhere near where I want to be career-wise. So that kind of just keeps driving me. Yeah, and that, that, that's the thing that I, like, respect the, the most is, is, like, people, they are pretty tough on, like, social media, and they are pretty tough on the players. But with you, it's kind of different because they kind of respect where you actually came from, which is definitely good for sure. Do you real do you realize that like um in Pittsburgh that the faithful there is just different than the majority of the baseball teams, man? They love their baseball team there in Pittsburgh. Yeah, they're they're super passionate, dude. They're 
they're like craving a winning baseball organization. And I, that's another thing that's driving me is I want to be a part of that. I want to help give that to them. But, you know, they've been through so many years of losing and feeling like, you know, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. And we gave them a few good years there in the middle of this decade. But um, that fan base is like craving a baseball winner, man. That's a huge baseball town, like extremely educated fans. And I think that's part of where like sometimes they get frustrated but they know more than like the average fan. They, they know about owners and GMs and they know about farm systems and they know prospect development and they know analytics. So it's like an extremely educated and passionate fan base. Yeah, for sure. And like, this is the last question, obviously. Um, what's your plans, I guess, for, for, for next, next season even? Is there, is there like a timeline for you or are you just trying to take it as it comes? Um, I'm going to be living in Florida, going to our spring training facility where we have like, we have some awesome physical therapists and strength coaches that I'm pretty excited to work with for this rehab, but, um, I'm under contract for three more years with the pirates. I'm kind of just viewing this as like a rehab and growth year and then we'll see where it takes me. Yeah, there it is. And there you have it folks, man. I mean, there is like, like I said earlier, there, there's some times I kind of just, when I'm interviewing these kind of people, like, especially you, I kind of just step back and I'm like, damn man i can't believe my dumb juco self is like interviewing these kind of guys and it's it just like i said shout out nick king for making this possible i appreciate that man and there you have it i mean the future face of team canada baseball the face of the pittsburgh pirates second overall pick just the stay at home class act legend gonna be dicing the major Dude. leagues for a long time it was a pleasure man i feel like we broke a lot of news today i feel like we got some stuff done and Hopefully I can come back on this podcast when I'm healthy and doing big things. But right now I'm just going to be rehabbing and, and minding my business over here. We might have to, we, we might have to have you as just a, a low key, like, um, co-host while you're rehabbing, you know, keep, keep you busy a little bit, get you, get you yeah, back in the, the trenches, brain sharp, exercise the brain muscles. I'm down. That, I think that's what the doctors are going to recommend for the rehab. So I appreciate that, man. Like I said, and, uh, best of luck in your rehabbing and all that. All right, dude. Thanks for having me. Appreciate that, man. Thank you for listening to Officially Unofficial. Make sure you guys subscribe and leave a review on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Pod and on Instagram at Officially Unofficial Pod. Thank you. Thank you.